Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we'll be back in John's Gospel, John 15, uh, starting in verse 18 this morning. Uh, now I'll just kind of ask this question as you're turning there. Uh, some of you will relate to this, but have you ever been to Lowe's or Amazon or Home Depot and you've wanted to buy something? I think all of us have, right? Yeah, it's a very general question. And you notice, though, that it says some assembly required. Anybody been there? Yeah, I go to Lowe's, I see these shelves, like, oh, that's going to be really cool in this room in my house. And it says some assembly acquired. Now, I love this advertising strategy, easy assembly required. Anybody ever come across a box that said that? Easy assembly required, tools included. Like the little Allen wrench that, you know, takes a five-year-old to spin the thing at so little. Or the plastic wrench that doesn't actually fit around the bolts you're supposed to you know, tighten. You know, but it's easy assembly, tools included. One person, 30 minutes, you'll have this brand new beautiful shelf in your house. We've seen it. We've done it. Maybe it's been two hours to assemble, but easy assembly in two hours. And so I'm the type that I'll go to YouTube. I'll find the product. And I'll watch the experts build the product. And it looks so easy when the guys on YouTube put it together. You know, two hours, they condense it down in like two minutes. And like, I can do that. I'm a guy. I got this. And so you go to the store, you buy the product, you go to Lowe's, and then you get this option. Would you like for us to uh, assemble it for you? I've got this. No, I do not. I will not spend the extra dollar and a half to get it assembled. I, the tools are in the box. A guy like me who doesn't have tools, I've got the tools in the box. It says easy. And you see the cashier chuckle. That should be indication number one, that it's false advertisement. So you get home and you start building it and you're putting it together. You realize the included tools are not very good. The YouTube video was not helpful, so you find another one. And a 30-minute project is now six hours in. And you have nothing except frustration and heartache. And you find yourself sitting there thinking, it was not as easy as they told me it would be. It was not as easy as the guy in the videos. Now, I know some of you in here, are you could do this, not me, okay? And so we have a few options at that point. We call the store and ask if the installation option is still available, that we'll bring it back for, the, for them to do. Uh, we just pack it up and get angry and go complain that this is false advertisement and we quit. Maybe we, I usually take a break uh, because in my household, when I'm angry at something like this, if I don't take a break, others will suffer, which means ultimately long-term, I will suffer when I'm Reminded of how they suffered because of my frustration. So you take a break, you quit. Uh, I was not involved in this particular project, but there was a family a uh, long, long time ago, probably 18, 20 years ago. Uh, they had bought this outdoor playset. You know, it's got the little swings and it's got the little tree houses. You know what I'm talking about, the big loaves, outdoor playsets. Again, the husband saw the, you can do this in six hours by yourself. Three days later, he calls the church. It's Anthony. You remember this. Uh, he calls the church. He says, I need help. 
And so a team of men went, and another three days later, they finished it. So. <laughs> but it was six hours, you know. It wasn't quite as easy as advertised. And when we find ourselves in those situations, and you know, I, I, that's just funny illustrations, but whatever life throws at us that we think it's going to be easy and we find ourselves in situations where it's not as easy as advertised, it's not as easy as we thought it would be, we can take a break, we can quit, we can complain, we can stop, we can call other people for help. There's all kinds of options. And that is where we're at now in John's gospel. Jesus is on this farewell discourse. Remember, it started in the upper room. This washing of the feet and love each other as I have loved you. And then it was this Judas has got to go because he's going to betray me. And there's confusion starting to set in because Jesus is starting to say, hey, I'm getting ready to check out. You're in, you know, in a few hours, I'm getting ready to experience something that you were not expecting. We're getting ready to go through the, the suffering, the beating, the crucifixion. Uh, and so he, in these last hours together, is preparing them for what is to come. But he's also trying to inspire them and encourage them. And he's telling them, guys, when I'm gone, you're going to do greater things than I have done. And what he means is you're going to have an impact on this world. You are going to go out and you're going to have a global impact. I, the impact that I have had is regional. Now, my message and my, what I'm getting ready to do on the cross, that's the, what you're going to take to people but you are the foot soldiers of taking the gospel and you're gonna do greater things than I have done. And you're gonna do it through prayer. The first thing he says is you gotta pray. You gotta depend on me to help you and anything you ask in my name, uh, I'll give it to you because if it's according to my will. And then he says, and to help you, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he's gonna empower you and equip you and encourage you and help you remember all the things that I've taught you. And, and Peter, you don't, he didn't say this, but this is what he's thinking. Peter, like you, you're like a screw-up, and you've been one of the terrible disciples, but I love you, and you're growing, and you're getting better. You don't know this, but you know, about 10 days after I ascend to heaven, you're going to stand up and preach the very first sermon to like thousands of people, and 3,000 people will be saved because, because of my Holy Spirit empowering you. Now, if you'd have told Peter that in the moment, he'd have been like, huh? I don't know what that means. He's getting ready to cut a guy's ear off for crying out loud, right? But in, in, in 50, 50, 50 days, 52 days from this moment, he's going to preach a powerful sermon and lives will be changed, a global impact. And Jesus says, and then last week we looked at the Great Commission, which is go make disciples. And so I, yeah, I can't tell you what the disciples are feeling in this moment. It's confusion, it's uh, uncertainty, but man, it's got to be, it, it's got to be like just, ah, Jesus is getting ready to, we're getting ready to bust this world wide open and we're getting ready to go do something. It's got to be excitement. And so Jesus kind of pulls back in, in this passage in John 15 and he says, but I need you to understand something. You're going to do these things, I promise, but it won't be as easy. It won't be as easy as you might think. People are not going to be as receptive as you might be thinking. It is going to be hard. And so he's going to explain to them what will take place. And uh, not going into the details, but he's going to tell them about how hard it's going to be. And then he's going to tell them what to do. He's going to say, this is how you respond when it's not as easy as you think it should 
be. So here's what he says, starting in verse 18 of John 15, and we'll go through uh, 16, verse 4. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours, but they, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them that they would not be guilty of sin, then they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sin. They would not know sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes... The one I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when the time comes, you will remember that I told them to you. I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away. Uh, I think we would call this a downer moment. With all this excitement that Jesus has been talking about, he now looks at these 11 guys who are left with him. And he says, they're going to hate you. And he, it translates, if they hate you. But you need to understand, when he says, if they hate you, what he's really saying is, if, and trust me, guys, they are going to hate you. It's not kind of like, oh, maybe one day you'll come across one person who hates you. He's like, no, no. If, and I assure you, trust me, I promise you, the world will hate you. Because they hated me. The world will hate you because they hated me. They hate, I came and I loved on them. I healed them. I, you know, I pointed things out to them. I'm the Messiah. I did nothing but try to love the world and the world hates me. So they will hate you also. And because they hate you, they will persecute you. There should be no question in their mind of what is coming, that it is not going to be as easy as they may think it's going to be. The Christian life is never as easy as we think. And you can get on TV and you can see these pastors and just like that box at Lowe's talking about how easy the Christian life is and you start living the life as a Christian and you realize I was sold a false product. The Christian life is not easy. 
And when we make the determination to go and make disciples, it's going to be even harder because the world is in opposition to that message. When, when he talks about the world, uh, it's very important, he's not talking about planet Earth. Mother Nature doesn't necessarily hate us, okay? Uh, he's not talking about the planet or the solar system. He's not really talking about individual people, although people are included. He's talking about a world system that is in direct opposition to what God wants to do. It's a world that hates God, is rebellious against God. You've seen it from the time Adam and Eve took a bite out of that first fruit. The world became rebellious. Humanity decided in that moment, sin entered the world. We, and we are all children of Adam and Eve. And so we are all naturally sinners. And we're all naturally in rebellion against God. And this world is moving as fast as it can away from their creator. Because they think they know best. Remember, this, the, the serpent said, you can be like God if you eat this. You can be like God. We don't want God to tell us what to do because we want to be like God. The worldly system wants to be God. And so they reject anything that the one true God says. And because of that rejection, they persecute Christians. Now, I would say we're fairly comfortable right here today. We have a nice building, nice cushioned seats. Uh, the church in America is comfortable the word persecution that is used here is uh, a, a picture. It's like being chased by wild animals. These 11 people, when they're persecuted, it's going to be like they're being chased by wild animals. People are going to be excited about it. Like, you know, Saul took great pleasure. He's like, well, Button's like, I killed this amount of Christian today. I killed this Christian today. People were excited when they were chasing these Christians down. Uh, historians of the day talked about the hated group of Christians, how the world hated them and persecuted them. Uh, persecution uh, was a very real thing for all 11 of these guys. In fact, 10 of the 11 guys here will die as martyrs. They will suffer, they will die, and it will be miserable all because they follow Jesus. John, uh, who writes this book, he actually dies of old age. Uh, the Lord blesses him, but his life was filled with all kinds of suffering. Church tradition tells us he was poisoned. And they tried to kill him, but it didn't take. He was poisoned and left for dead. They dipped him head to toe in hot boiling oil over and over and over again. That's John. Uh, they exiled him to Patmos. That's in the Bible. We know that because that's where he has his revelation. And uh, they try to kill him over and over, and he suffers greatly. He ends his life, and he writes this gospel while he's in Ephesus mentoring a young next-generation church. Uh, one of the individuals that uh, church tradition says that he mentored was a guy named Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp has an amazing story as one of our early church fathers. Uh, when it came time for his martyrdom, he's in the Colosseum, and the MC of the events has him tied up to a stake, ready to burn him alive. And they say, Polycarp, if you just renounce the atheist, that's what Christians were called by the Romans, were atheists because we didn't believe, they didn't believe in Roman gods. He says, renounce the atheist and you'll be spared. Polycarp at his old age with his little old bony finger points around the whole, I love this, he points around the whole Colosseum at all the people and he goes, I renounce the atheist. Right? He, he renounces the Romans. And he goes on through this four or five times 
And he says, renounce your faith and you'll be. See, nobody wanted to burn this old guy at the stake. All he had to do is renounce his faith. And he says, nope, I won't do it. And so they light him on fire. The emperor Nero used Christians to light his courtyard at night. He would light them on fire on these stakes. Christianity is not as easy as people say it is, and it is filled with martyrs. The seeds of the church have grown from the blood of the martyrs. It is said that the 20th century has seen more people die in the name of Christ than any other time in history, and that's a lot. And we sit here in America, and we don't experience that kind of persecution. But our brothers and sisters all across the world are. In China, in the Middle East, even in Europe, our brothers and sisters are being chased like wild animals. They're being put in prisons. They're being suffering. They're being executed. Here in America, I think we are persecuted in a far different way. Now listen to me. Lean in. This is important. The goal of persecution is to end Christianity. That's the goal, to kill all of them. We don't see that in America. What we see in America, the enemy, Satan, the devil, I believe he persecutes us in a very different way. He uses comfort and complacency. That is our persecution. Our buildings, our pews, our comfort and our complacency. He makes us think that we have succeeded and he makes us comfortable. And we sit back and we stop going. We start focusing on ourselves and not on the world. In fact, I think for us in the American church, that's had a lot more success than killing Christians. For 300 years, the Jewish people and the Roman government tried to eradicate Christians by killing them. And yet around 300, you, you can see these. Uh, I, was, I was watching a video of a guy who had them, uh, a little uh, denarius, a coin that had uh, Nero's face on it. Uh, but then around 300, it's got a cross on it. The same coin, same amount of money, 300 years after Jesus' death, through brutal persecution, you went from pagan to Christian. It takes a long time to change a culture. 300 years is fast. You know why? Because those Christians, in the midst of their persecution, kept loving kept telling people about Jesus. As they were hated, they kept loving. Does it not strike you that Christians are known by our love and the world is known by its hate? When we are told that we're the ones that are hateful? I don't see atheists starting hospitals. I see Christians starting hospitals. You don't see atheists running into the towns filled with the Black Plague. Christians sacrificed their life to go care for the people who had the plague. We are the ones who love, and yet we are persecuted, we are hated, we are rejected. Chapter 16 talks about they'll be kicked out of the synagogues. Now, you need to understand, this is not, uh, this is a huge deal. The synagogue's not like just a church. We're not just voting you out of a church. When you got kicked out of a synagogue, you lost everything. You lost your community. You lost your family. You were shunned from that society. The synagogues were a community. And so when they kicked you out, you had no contact with your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. You had no contact with your friends that you've grown up with. You lost your job. We see some of that in America where we're persecuted by losing our jobs or we're not invited to sit at the cool kids' table uh, or we're not invited to go to this uh, workers' party, okay, co-workers' party. You know, we see that. 
So they'll hate us. They'll hate us. They'll persecute us. And there's different ways of being persecuted. And then Jesus explains to them why. He says, they're going to hate you because they hated me. They hate you because they hate me. They hate my message. They're going to hate you. The second reason is because you're not of the world. Listen, brothers and sisters, Christians, we are called to be separate. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. The Jewish people were chosen by God to be separate from the world. They were supposed to show the world the one true God. And over and over again, the Jewish people conformed to the society they were in. And so when Jesus came and said, I am the true vine, he says, I am replacing Israel, who was supposed to be the true vine, but they failed, but I'm not going to fail because I'm the perfect son of God. So I'm replacing Israel. And so the church now becomes a chosen people set apart from the world. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. We should not look like the world. We shouldn't speak like the world. We shouldn't act like the world. And I will point the finger at me because I promise you during sporting events, I look like the world. Okay. When referees, you know, yeah, referees do bad. I look like the world. And I, I, was, I would tell that to you all the time. Uh, Panthers just traded for the first overall pick. I wasn't real happy about that. I said things that were worldly. Okay, but we are to get better. We are to be separated from the world. We are to strive, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to not speak or act or do the things of the world. And because we don't conform to what they say, they hate us. Because we don't accept that the truth of the world is right. You know, the world says this, uh, your truth is good for you, so it's true. Your truth is good for you. No, no, no. There's one truth, and it's found here. This is the truth. If the truth of the world does not match the Bible, it is not truth. It is a lie. And we're told if we don't conform to that, then we'll hate us. The third reason that they hate us is, and I think this is probably the most prominent one, is Jesus and the church points out sin. We point out people's sin. Have you ever gone to the movies in the middle of the day? Pitch black. You're in the theater, right? You walk out. It's kind of dim. And then you throw open the doors and the sun hits your eyes. That's painful. Nobody likes that. You're like, ah. Jesus came into a dark world and he blasted the beam of a noonday light exposing sin. And they didn't like it. They didn't like being told what they were doing violated God's law. They didn't like having, uh, having these things exposed. He's like, nobody's going to tell me. I, Pharisees especially. I'm perfect. I'm a Pharisee. And Jesus is like, no, I don't think so. People don't like to have their sins exposed. There's a story. Um, I'm going to have to read it to you. H.A. Uh, Ironside uh, he tells the, the story of a missionary uh, who was in Africa. Uh, the missionary and his wife were there, and they had a little mirror that hung on a tree outside their home. Uh, a woman from the village happened to glance in the mirror one day. Uh, again, she, she was a pagan. She was from a very uh, pagan village. She, and this was the first time she had ever saw her reflection in a mirror anywhere. Uh, and she began to beg the missionaries to buy the mirror. She wanted it. 
And the missionaries thought, well, she's seen herself for the first time. She wants to see herself and be able to fix her hair and do these things. And so over time, uh, the missionaries gave in and they sold her, gave her the mirror. And as soon as she had the mirror in her hand, she smashed it. She threw it to the ground. She didn't want to see her reflection. She did not like her reflection. She did not like what she saw. After she broke it, she said, I will never have to, I will never have this thing making faces at me again. When Jesus turns the mirror and forces us to look at our sins, the world wants to take that mirror and throw it to the ground because we don't want to see it. When Christians expose people and tell people about their sins and show them the mirror, they don't want to see it. But I think we have to ask a very important question as the church. Do we like looking in the mirror ourselves? Before we turn the mirror to show somebody else's sins, we have to look at it ourselves and realize that we're just as sinful. We have our addictions. We have our problems. We have our imperfections, our anger, our selfishness. You you see, it's for the church too. Jesus exposes the sin of the church. And you go to churches sometimes and sin gets exposed and people don't like that. Pastors, Sunday school teachers, leaders try to help people and hold people accountable and tell people about their sins and they get angry. Like, who are you to judge? That's what they say. Well, Christians, we shouldn't judge and we're not judging. We're loving people enough to tell them the truth. We're loving people enough to hold them accountable. We're loving people enough to say, I'm not perfect and I've got my problems and I've got my sins, but I also follow a Savior who's forgiven me. And maybe you need to turn to that same Savior. And we tell people about Jesus. And when we do that, the world hates us. The world doesn't want us to be uh, telling them how to live their life. And so now we're faced with the problem. What do we do? Do we quit? Do we wall ourselves off? Do we take a break? Do we return to cinder? Do we get somebody else to do it? Do we say, the church down the road will do it? Or we'll send our money to that missionary and let them do it. What do we do? Well, Jesus gives them the response. First thing I want you to see uh, is he tells them in verse 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth will proceed from the Father. He will testify about me. The first thing you need to know is Jesus does not forget you. In the midst of your persecution, in the midst of the hatred, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the frustration, Jesus says, I'm still sending you help. The Spirit will embolden you, encourage you, equip you. You will have help. And because you have help, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. In the midst of persecution, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. In the midst of walking down the street saying, hey, can I pray for you? And somebody said, no, I'm going to walk the other way. Faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. At school, when you're shunned from the cool kids' table or not invited to this party, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. 
when you're not invited to a coworker's house for a party, faithfully proclaim, proclaim Christ anyway. When you're beaten, thrown in jail, suffering, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. When you feel complacent or comfortable and you don't want to go anymore and you're like, ah, somebody else will do it, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. Be his witness. You are empowered to do so. Be his witness. He will help you. He will strengthen you. And then you look in verse 16, he says, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to fall away is what he means. He goes, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. And don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't give up on that family member. Don't give up on that coworker. Don't give up on that uh, person who sits in Sunday school class with you who's really struggling and, or, or that person who's been attending who's, who's not a Christian or that person you walk by on the street every day. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stumble. Faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. Anyway, Elizabeth Elliot, the, the wife of, uh, uh, what was his first name? The Elliot guy that went to Ecuador. He was speared to death when he went to take the gospel to the villagers and his wife said in the midst of the persecution, she was going to proclaim Christ anyway and she went back to the very same village. And the man who killed her husband may have passed by now, but he was or is a Christian because she in the midst of her persecution faithfully proclaimed Christ anyway. That is the message. I know it's a lot of hate and Jesus spends a lot of time on it. We spend a lot of time on it on why we're hated. But in the midst of all of it, proclaim Christ anyway. And we do so with grace. We do so with love. We do so gently sometimes. Uh, don't be jerks about it. Jesus wasn't a jerk, okay? But we faithfully and lovingly proclaim Christ anyway, no matter what we do. And we sit here and we resolve never to fall away. Too many Christians hit that first roadblock and quit. Don't quit. Church, last week we, we talked about the new uh, intentionality of our missions about praying, serving this community, and telling people and praying for each other. It's exciting. Had a lot of people here last week. It will get, eventually you'll become, it'll become a routine. It'll become mundane. Maybe we hit roadblocks. Maybe we don't see the results that we want. It doesn't mean we stop. It means we faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. In the midst of persecution, faithfully proclaim Christ anyway. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your encouragement, for your inspiration, for your challenges. We thank you that you're just real to us that you speak truth to us and you prepare us and you tell us what's going to happen. And Father, we know that uh, the Christian life is a hard life. Help us to faithfully follow you and helpfully proclaim Christ anyway. Help us to be emboldened, encouraged, and equipped by the Holy Spirit to do the things that you have called us to do. Help us not to be complacent or comfortable, but to faithfully tell people about who you are. And Father, if there's anybody here in this room who's never made a decision to follow you, Father, convict them of their sin in this moment. Reveal to them, help them to understand and accept that they are sinful and they have sin and that they are broken and they need to be restored. Uh, and the only source of restoration is Jesus Christ. Father, lead them to make the decision to follow you today. It won't be easy, 
but help them to decide to follow you and help us as a church to walk alongside of them and disciple them. And we ask this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.